Episode 21 of Logicast, the AWS news podcast brought to you by Logicata. I'm Carl Robertson, CEO and co-founder of Logicata. And I'm joined today, as always, I'm getting the as always back in, John, because it just trips off the tongue. I'm joined today, as always, by my colleague, John Goodall. How are you doing today, John? Oh, I can't complain. I can't complain. Weather's all right. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. Lots of sun. So I'm not paying very much for my electric. Can't complain. Good, good. The solar panels are uh, generating some ROI. Yeah, I'd be happier if my supplier had finally sorted out my export tariff because I'm exporting far more than I'm using, but I'm not getting paid for it yet. Mm. Well, I know you're hot on those things, so mm. I'm sure you'll have that sorted in no time. Uh, and we're also joined today uh, by a very special guest, Abhishek Moria um, from India. And I was... Uh, absolutely bowled over to see that Abhishek is actually wearing a Captain Cloud t-shirt because he was a former uh, competition winner. So uh, Abhishek, great to have you on. Great to see you representing the brand. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Abhishek. Yeah, uh, I'm Cloud Engineer uh, working for one of the APN partner company called Future Alice. Uh, my work is pretty much around AWS, uh, beginning from consultancy to solution architect uh, and some development here and there. Uh, I'm also into the training part. So uh, whenever a new trainees joins up our organization, I help them get certified with the courses. And I also uh, sometimes take private tuitions uh, and tu tutorials for the people who connect with me on LinkedIn. So that's pretty much all about me. Thank you. So uh, what certifications do you currently hold? Let's have a cert off. <laughs> how many uh have you, have you got the gold jacket let's start there yeah uh currently i have five active aws certifications uh all three associate level and both the professional level the solution architect and devops professional fantastic i think that makes you the most certified person on the podcast then um i think i've got uh four with one about to expire and I've done nothing uh, about about uh, renewing it. So uh, my sysops administrator is about to expire at the end of July. So I've still got time. Um, so uh, I might just throw in a cheeky test and uh, see if I pass or not. Um, but I don't want to. I, I don't want to soil my hundred percent success rate like you, John. So, uh, so yeah, I've far, only got uh, two. I've only got two for exactly that reason. I don't like taking them until I'm hundred percent confident I can pass them. Partly because I mean, you pay for them, Carl. So it's not the money. It's just the inconvenience because it's a pain in the backside going up. It's like half a day just to get, take a, a two-hour exam, so it's a pain. And and B, yes, of the three I've taken, I've passed all three. So, But you've only got two. Yeah, the, the, I did the SA Associate years ago and it expired right. and never bothered to renew nice. it. And uh, so, Abhishek, I'm okay. just curious, Are you? Uh, do you do your exams at home, remote proctored, or do you prefer to go to a test centre? Oh. Um, yeah, I, I did it on test centers, uh, although one of the SysOps beta exam uh, that was just about to launch with the new hands-on labs, that I did at my home uh, with the remote doctor. So I have experience of handling both. Uh, and I think I liked the test center most because it's a small silent place and nobody to disturb, no things to arrange and immediately you can start your exam. So I think that was the best part of going with the test center. I have done all yeah. the certifications on the test center only. 
Yeah, I'm with you there. I did. I also did my sysops at home, but it was in the height of the pandemic, so there was no choice. Um, yeah. But uh, actually, I wasn't at home. I was in my parents' home, and uh, their home is a bit tidier than mine, so there was <laughs> less preparation to do to make my uh, my workstation uh, uh, exam compliant. So. Um, Anyway, uh, let, let's move on. So uh, as you know, if uh, you've listened to the podcast before, every week um, I curate a list of AWS news, which I share via my weekly AWS News Roundup. Uh, and then John and I um, select a subset um, of the articles from the News Roundup that we want to talk about in the podcast. So uh, we've got a number of articles this week, again, that we'd like to talk about. The first one of those um, is about uh, something we spoke about recently, actually, but there was another new announcement last week um, about new Snowball Edge storage optimized devices with more storage and bandwidth. So we spoke a couple of weeks, a couple of episodes ago, I think it was, um, about, uh, sorry, my screen just locked. So uh, I think I'm still here. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we spoke, uh, we spoke a couple of weeks ago um, about um, Snowball Edge devices. Um, but there was a blog post last week by Jeff Barr uh, about uh, some new additions to the family. So uh, what's new, John? Well, I don't think this is new additions to the family. I picked this for a couple of reasons. Well, I know you love snowballs because they're just cool. They're just cool from an engineering standpoint. And I like a Jeff article as well because they're usually really good. So that's kind of why I picked these. What this one is doing is this is kind of walking you through using Snowball Edge with the large data migration service because that's kind of the point of these devices yes okay they're x number of terabytes or, or whatever um, but people like say nasa when they moved to aws they would have had terabytes and terabytes and terabytes possibly petabytes of data to move to the cloud right so this is kind of walking you through how to do that in jeff's inimitable style it's really quite good it's worth mentioning, of course, that the devices have a couple of really cool connectivity options. So you can do these really fast data transfers locally that is is required. So it's talking 10 gig base T. So that's 10 gig Ethernet networking, SFP and QSFP, which is uh, fiber optic, which is really cool. That's really cool, yeah. big chunky connectors and everything. They're cool. But yeah, it's talking about the large data migration service and they do the, the standard spiel for talking about ProServe and partners and all that kind of thing, which you sort of expect them to do. And then it walks you through how to do it with a large data migration plan. And this is an AWS service that kind of helps you move vast quantities of data out of your on-premises setup into AWS in the most efficient manner. So rather than ordering 10 or 20 snowballs all at the same time, it, it walks you through how many you, you want to have in your data center at any one time because you might not have space for lots of them because most data centers are fairly packed, because that's kind of the point. So, you know, I'll have one or two at a time, please. And then it will come up with this kind of schedule of order um, of, of migration jobs to do. And then you get this nice dashboard through CloudBarch, and you've got a job ordering schedule, and so on and so on and so on. It tells you what to order and when to do it. And then you connect it, and you do all the, the migration, and that's kind of all fairly well-trodden. But yeah, I thought this was definitely worth talking about again because these things are really cool, for one. And for two, yes, the snowmobile, when that came out, was I feel like that was a PR stunt for reInvent. You know, the the big semi-trailer with the armed guards and all the rest of it. That felt more like a stunt. This feels more real to me. Do you have some experience with the snowball devices, Abhishek? 
no i have just heard and read while preparing for the certifications uh but what what i feel uh, the best part of snowball devices is uh either you want to move your data to aws or you want to get the aws data to your place the snowball devices can help you with both the calls uh and the best part uh, with the edge devices is it provides you the ram so you can perform some operations uh, over there although the s3 is very cheap uh, when you store tvs of data uh, present in the uh, bucket but i think with snowball devices the cost is not too much uh, comparing to the internet that is required to transfer this data uh, via internet connection of maybe some gbps that is uh, to transit in some really good amount of time so i feel snowball devices are really good uh, one more thing that uh, i really love about aws blogs is how they provide the details steps how you actually want to do it so it's not just an announcement that hey we are launching this device no it is like they are providing the steps that you go to console click here use this option write this name create this role and all the details option that will help you create and transition and complete your task yeah it's great to have those tutorials it's literally a step by step walkthrough um of how to actually create this uh, this large data migration plan so um yeah that was a that was a new one on me the uh, the data migration plan is that a new feature or is that just something that jeff's decided to draw our attention to um with the I don't uh, think it's new I don't think it's new um it's just you know a nice feature. It's very interesting, appreciate that you say about the cost of, of an equivalent internet thing. The last time we spoke about this, one of the things that I'm, I brought up, because I'm quite keen on this, was even with your ridiculously powerful and expensive um, internet connection, you're not going to be able to get the same kind of transfer speeds unless you live in somewhere like South Korea where you have terabit parallel, which, you know, it's kind of not likely whereas with um an sfp or a qsfp local connection you're moving gigabytes per second which you just can't do over the internet right so yeah, uh, it's still the, faster to do it like this yeah one of the thing that they have introduced uh, in this new feature is they are providing more storage and more bandwidth so for the customer who wanted the more storage to be transferred at once uh, rather than ordering multiple devices or to transit that much amount of data now that can be ordered with just one device of maximum of a capacity 210 tbs at a time so this is a new feature that they have introduced and i think it's really going to helpful a lot of customers who wants to migrate a large chunk of data to AWS. I need to find a large chunk of data just so I have an excuse to order one. <laughs> Podcast type catalog. Play with it. Yeah, but that's already in the cloud. So uh, I'll just have to download it just so that I can ship it to uh, S3 using a snowball device. Um, so I have seen them. In fact, we're off to the uh, AWS Summit London this week, and there'll probably be some there. They usually have them if you want to go and uh, see one in the in the flesh or in the plastic as it were um i'd so, love to uh, get one in a rage room that would be so much fun and smash it up <laughs> or try to yeah. see how tough it actually is <laughs> is that a thing in india abhishek have you heard about rage rooms uh no i haven't heard about uh no, but right. I see that this noble edge devices are only for the us customers and uh, right now the new newer version with more uh, storage and bandwidth is not available for India. It is just for two regions uh, in US. So definitely, that's a good point. Actually, yeah. 
yeah i think we uh, yeah maybe maybe that's just applies to the new ones but i think we can get them in the uk the, the, uh, yeah i the don't UK. think we could get the storage optimized 210 terabyte ones yeah um, that's an interesting one because it's probably a shipping costs thing or, or just kind of where they put them because they're they're big units uh, what I feel uh, it may not be a reason that they have not launched this in Europe is because Europe has a lot of compliance and strict regulations to follow with the data. So this is could be another point why they are not launching it too soon in the US because they want to complete the documentation and legal process in the background first before they launch. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, you could have a point there. So let me explain Rage Rooms to you. I'm going to come back to that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Rage Rooms are an experience uh, where you can basically pay to go into a room with a big hammer and smash stuff. Uh, so like old IT equipment or, or whatever it might be. Like you know, CRT monitors, monitors and things. things. Like yeah. And you just go into this room and you can spend half an hour in there just breaking things. So it's a really yeah. great way to relieve stress, just smashing things up. So I think John was saying he would love to. Uh, maybe that's what we should do. Maybe that would be a great piece of content, isn't it? Order, order a snowball edge device and smash take it, it into a rage room and smash it. But see, see how rugged it actually is. It might be a bit expensive, though. I think we should probably read the small print first on the uh, yeah. uh, on the snowball edge uh, contract. Um, you know, because I would imagine they're quite expensive to replace. Yes. Um, because once they ship this uh, to your place, I think they give you seven days to upload the data and ship back. So yeah. breaking them uh, will cost you. Oh yeah. Money. I don't think it would take us seven days to smash one, but you know they are quite <laughs> rugged. So uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, moving swiftly on from that idea because uh, that could be a very expensive idea. Uh, let's go on to our next article for this week, um, which is. Uh, why did you choose this one, John? Uh, this is a, a blog post by you. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't, blog. Yeah. I don't <laughs> but, like uh, talking about my own things. I don't. Um, I'm cutting you off there. It's Edivus Lambda use cases. When should you use it? I don't like talking about my own articles because it's a bit shameless, if we're honest. But I did pub promote it to the community builders uh, Slack group and got some decent feedback. So I thought it was okay. Let's Yeah, let's talk about it. Um, Partly, this article sat in the to-review pile and to-write pile for just ages. This was a really hard one to write because word limit, word targets, and all the rest of it, and it just it just was so hard to do this one. Um, this is literally a what is it and what do you want to use it for type thing. So we know what Lambda is generally on this podcast. We talk about it quite a lot. The TLDR is... It's a function as a service. You don't worry about the servers underneath. You just say, I need this code to run in this language and it should have this much RAM. And there's a single dial mode for RAM and CPU. So you say, I want this much RAM. It, that equates to X amount of virtual CPU. Brilliant. So you might not need more RAM. You might need more virtual CPU cycles, but you just kind of get both. You turn the dial, you get both. Cool. And then there's a whole bunch of use cases and some really nice stock photos to go with it, which I think you picked, Carl, um, about, you know, things that you'd use it for. And it's things like gluing things together. So it's just kind of what I use Lambda a lot for, actually, is you're kind of sitting in the middle of various services or using them for APIs, which is really cool because you don't actually have to worry about building the API. You'd worry about the logic and then you hook it up to API Gateway and then it's just kind of all done, which is great. 
and things like um, static websites, which is weird, but you can do it because things like um, Python with Django just render when it asks for it. It's not constantly there. So it's, oh, request, send back content. It's the same kind of thing. It's just a different kind of way of thinking about it. And then some kind of more boring things that you sort of expect, back-end data processing, ETL, running containers, which is kind of odd, but you can do it because it supports Docker images. I don't think it was meant as a replacement for ECS, but if you're feeling a bit fruity, you can do it. And I think the last one was chatbots and things, because again, it's all, there's a theme here. It's pretty much request, response, request, response. It's anything that you don't really want to be paying for if it's not doing anything. And all of these, with the exception of ETL, are user initiates request, get response. And on the ETL side of things, the request initiator is a timed trigger. So again, you don't want your whole system sitting there spinning its wheels, doing nothing, and you charging for and you being paid for it. You being charged for it, get the sentence out, when you could have something sitting there that isn't charging you for doing nothing. It's only charging you when you want to use it, when it needs to be used. What are your thoughts on, uh, on on this one, Abhishek? Do you uh, do you agree with John? Uh, are there any other use cases potentially that you might want to throw into the mix? Or uh, I think uh, one of the first is gluing up with the things, not the AWS glue as a service, but gluing up uh, as a thing. And step function actually play a very important role uh, when you have a multiple lambda functions present. So uh, let's say you want kind of a if and else architecture where you say, if this is happen, execute this Lambda function. If that happens, execute that, that Lambda function. Uh, in that case, Lambda plays a very important role. But I really like some of the features of the Lambda. Uh, first one is Lambda layer. So this mm. is for uh, when you have something that is not supported by AWS or you want some files to be uh, present before you start executing, uh, that is a good one. Second is Lambda does not provide a source control uh, directly. You need to maintain your source differently, but it does provide is the alias and the version option. So where you can create a multiple versions of the Lambda function, have a default one and keep your code, how we keep it in our source control like Git uh, or GitHub. So that is another good func uh, functionality. But I think uh, using this for the website can be a game changing for the cost management. Because say if I have a website hosted and I don't have any visitors coming up there, I will not be charged anything. Unless a user comes up on my website and clicks on some option, I will be only charged when he comes up and he clicks for the options. Otherwise my website will be just idle if it is not uh, being used by any of the user. So definitely it's a cost uh, managing option. Uh, and the last point uh, here, is definitely it has some constraints with the number of storage, number of GPs. Uh, there's a timeout limit that they have defined. But I think they are improving it a lot uh, because earlier it was just five minutes. Now it is up to 15 minutes. Uh, and the storage option that they have given uh, is pretty huge now. I think it's up to uh, 10 GB that they provide. So you can work with and you do not require an external drive uh, to work with Lambda. Well, there's a couple of things there that I just want to pick out. The, the website one is always fun because A Cloud Guru did that. They had, I think, zero or functionally zero AWS hosting bill for about a year and a half, I think. They had staff costs and training costs and all the rest of it, but they didn't pay their AWS bill for a year and a half because it was all serverless. So that's brilliant. The 
the system limits, as you say, are getting better because it used to be really quite slim. But then they brought Docker online and you can have up to 10 gigabytes of RAM configured. Um, and up until relatively recently, you could only have 500 megabytes of temporary storage and they can mount EFS drives to it. So, yeah, it is improving all the time. I do like a step function, personally. I've written quite a lot of them. They're quite awkward to test, but they are very powerful. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that people need to be paying attention to. I want some more attention to because serverless tech gets a lot of noise just because it's fun. Right, right. And before we move uh, to the next block of uh, how you want to grant least privilege access to your private instances, I want to talk one feature of Lambda that can be used in adjacent to this feature, which is called Lambda in BPC. So if you don't want to make your resources public uh, and don't want it to run on private and you want it to close in your VPC with the subnets, uh, your security group, all to be enforced, Lambda is a very great place to make all the things private and not show up. Uh, and you just can use the VPC interface endpoint uh, to make the calls externally available, which is we're going to discuss in the next block. Thank you. Cool. Um, and I'm glad we spoke about the glue one because that was my mm. favorite stock image because that's yeah. how I imagine you're working, John, uh, you know, with the bits of paper and glue and uh, scissors and things like that. So, uh, I mean, know, on the weekend get... with the kids, sure. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, so on that note, let's move along uh, to the uh, to the next blog post that uh, Abhishek alluded to. And this one is uh, from the AWS Cloud Operations and Migrations blog, and it's entitled How to Grant Least Privilege Access to Third Parties on Your Private EC2 Instances with AWS Systems Manager. So, Abhishek, you already started talking about this a little bit when we were talking about Lambda. Tell us a bit about your thoughts on, on this one. You go first this time. Yeah. So this one is, is a pretty special because when you have a fleet of EC2 instances and you want to manage all of them, System Manager plays a very important role. Uh, and I have been using System Manager from last four years. Uh, and I see from where it was before four years and now where it present. Uh, the important features that I always use is Session Manager because you don't need to open the external port for the SSH purpose. Uh, second one is Automation Documents that are like super handy and super helpful. You can complete your task in a minute. Uh, one of the recent tasks that I did uh, was installing a CloudWatch agent on a EC2 instance. Uh, usually that is like a bigger steps where you configure each and everything to uh, get the job done. But with system manager uh, and automation document that just simplified my job. Uh, so that is pretty good. Uh, talking about this block, uh, I think this is a very important update uh, with the system manager because usually we had to make things public. Uh, and now using the the VPC interface endpoint, you don't need to have an external APIs uh, present. It can directly be integrated with the private link or the VPC interface endpoint, and it can just work as magic for your private uh, resources. What about you, John? What points do you have for this? Well, I will. I pick this one out because this is something that we internally as Logicata do quite a lot of because we're a managed services provider, we manage clients' uh, EC2 estates, we have SSH access to them and all that kind of thing. And maintaining and managing that is always a challenge. It is because clients will either just hand over the root keys, which is not amazing. They might hand over the default keys that they've created, which is okay. But then we have administrator accounts, which we're sharing with them, which again is it's sort of okay, but it's not great, especially if they're logging in, then we're logging in, and, and then we can start kicking each other off on 
Windows servers and whatever. Um, and then we have certain setups that we might apply so that we can support them better in incident remediation, that kind of thing. So it's generally, it's, it's not great. This is quite cool because the, the process here is you can kind of ignore the whole private link and all that sort of thing because that's just a way of um, routing traffic without using the internet. Yeah. Put that by the by. What's really cool about this is you're adding temporary access keys to an EC2. So you have your access key. It's in Session Manager. Session Manager goes, great, temporary key, go. And then you have, I think it's a couple of minutes to log in with that key. That key is never permanently attached to the server. So you do your SDS Assume to get access to the account. You then go, right, grant me access to this server, please. Don't touch your boom, John. And you then can log into the account. That's great because it means that the problem that we as a company have and that a lot of MSPs have is it's just gone. It's just gone because it's all configured properly remotely. And you go, bink, I need access. I now have access. Brilliant. Good. So yes, Carl, I would like to start using this internally. I would. I was just thinking about magic because Abhishek said uh, magic, and uh, you know a lot of what we do is just magic, pure magic, auto magically. So, yeah. Great, yeah, great work. Yeah. <laughs> Another discussion, you know, AWS uh, blocks are always the technical where they provide detailed step with minor policies required. And I see this block is filled with the details that you don't have to switch to any other documentation to complete the setup that they have given. So it's pretty easy. Each de details and code is all everything that is provided in the block. Yeah, nice. yeah you're absolutely right there. And the other thing as well that's absolutely worth, absolutely worth mentioning is it also talks about... Um, command tracking and things so a user has done various things on the server to get access to the server and so on and that's all logged so some of our customers are, are that way inclined and some of them aren't because then either iso requirements or, or whatever they can then audit what we've done what they've asked us to do is what we've done type thing nice so I'm going to move us on because uh, I'm conscious of time. Um, so let's move away from the AWS blog uh, into an article which appeared on GeekWire and, and lots of other places last week because um, the press love a bit of scandal. <clears throat> uh, although we're not exactly sure what's going on here, so I'm interested to hear what you guys think. But uh, there was an article on GeekWire last, last week um, about Amazon confirming the abrupt departure of AWS data center chief Chris Vonderhaar, uh, who is the guy who's been responsible for managing AWS's global data center build-outs. And before I ask you for your opinions, guys, I noticed when I was reading the news this morning that there's been a couple of other quite high-level departures from AWS recently. The head of AWS India um, has also just resigned, um, and uh, the head of AWS Ireland, um, which is uh, obviously a pretty major region for them uh, in Europe, um, has also gone. So, um, hmm, curiouser and curiouser. What, what are your thoughts on this one, guys? Um We've lost oh, him. We've lost we'll, Abhishek, we'll, so if you carry on. <laughs> we'll proceed. Um, so, yeah, the first one I want to draw attention to on this is that the news came out via TikTok, and that's always fun. You don't often see that, but you're starting to now. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was It's a fun one, this, because um, the chap was apparently tipped to be a, a list of, you know, on the potential successes for Andy Jassy after the... AWS CEO and Jassy was elevated back up to um, Amazon proper. So that's the first thing that I want to draw is this was um, 
this guy was not exactly unknown. Right? He was a bit of a dark horse candidate, but he was kind of in kind of that sphere. And then the other thing was he's just gone. Right, head of the data center thing is huge because when you think about it, the cloud is just a lot of data centers that someone else is managing. That's all it actually is. Right? So the guy that ran it for a decade and a half nearly, gone with with yeah. no explanation. Like, what's going on? This does concern me. This does worry me. I mean, yes, he's not the only guy that's in charge and they've got thousands of data centers, but the chap head of that heading that entire division, gone. That's worrying. That is. And the yep. head of India and the head of Ireland. So what's going on? Some some sort of, of top level headhunt, I think. Mm. What are your thoughts on this one, Abhishek? Um, I think like when when a higher authority of the person is gone uh, and you have some plans in between, definitely uh, things will gonna screw up uh, in their backend. Uh, in India, actually, they are planning to create two new regions in Bangalore and Hyderabad places. So definitely, I feel the things will be delayed uh, if the position has not been taken over in charge immediately. Uh, but I just saw that uh, TikTok video, which was attached as a reference uh, to this material. And that is quite uh, not so good, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, as John said, news breaking on TikTok. Perhaps we are going to have to get a Logicata TikTok account. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm t I'm too old for TikTok. I've uh, it's not something I <laughs> I've got into. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe we will uh, go into the uh, deep dark world of TikTok. Anyway, conscious of time, let's just skip on uh, to a couple of minutes on our last article, um, which is a press release that went out on Business Wire last week about Elastic signing a three-year strategic collaboration agreement with AWS to accelerate global cloud adoption. Now, obviously, Elastic and AWS been in the press a lot over the last four years, what with AWS uh, forking the uh, the um, Elastic search um, into their own uh, open search offering. Um, so uh, this, this, to me, seemed very much like a kind of kiss and makeup type article uh, between those two uh, huge cloud giants. But what, what are your thoughts on this one, guys? I mean, same. That's the only reason I picked this was because you don't think of Elastic being friendly with AWS anymore because there was this enormous, I mean, their whole open search thing was just a farce. And I don't really blame AWS for this. AWS was doing what AWS does. They were running open source things for other people, charging for it. And Elastic went, ah, we're not making enough money because they're managed offering wasn't being used because of managed elastic search so I, I i don't know if this is a kiss and make up or or elastics management has gone through a change or or you know they've they've woke up and smelt the coffee and worked out that they actually can't do without aws because it's such a big player in the cloud space and people aren't using elastics own offerings yeah uh, what what i think here is uh elastic might be using aws infrastructure uh, for managing this space, uh, although I did not found any details regarding this, but I think this partnership uh, will definitely help improve Elastic as well as the uh, Elastic features that are given to AWS uh, in form of Elastic Search, uh, this service uh, that is being controlled and managed together. 
Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, both both organisations are huge. Uh, Elastic has a huge amount of momentum in the market, um, so it definitely makes sense um, for them to be friendly with AWS um, because of uh, AWS's influence and reach. Um, but on that note, um, sadly, we are out of time. Um, so uh, we've reached the end of Logicast Season 2, Episode 21. So thank you, John, uh, for your input as always. And uh, thank you, Abhishek, for joining us today. It's been great to hear your insights as well and absolutely fantastic to see you sporting that uh, Captain Cloud T-shirt on the other side of the world. So uh, uh, if you're watching, you'll be able to see that. If you're listening, sadly you won't. You'll just have to take my word for it. Um, but uh, that was uh, Logicast Season 2, Episode 21. Um, Find us on all major podcast distributions. We're hosted on Podbean, but we distribute via iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so wherever you choose to get your podcasts, uh, you will find us. Oh, and we're also now live we're on, on YouTube. YouTube. Now. <laughs> uh, actually, we're not live on YouTube. We have a channel on YouTube where we will be distributing our recordings. So uh, if YouTube is your preferred uh, way to consume content, uh, you will also find us on YouTube. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back with another episode of Logicast next week. See you again next time. Thank you.